Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? Glad that you all are with us. My name is Carl. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. We are continuing a very important series titled The Problem of God. Apologies if my voice sounds a little bit crazy. I've been fighting some crud the past couple of days. Hopefully I'm going to make it. If you happen to see me up here choking for my life, just hook a brother up, give me some water, and I'll drive on. But uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, I'm good right now, though. Uh, anyway, great series that we're in. I want to give a shout-out to Conexus Church uh, in Canada. Conexus Church, pastored by uh, Carrie Newhoff. They are a strategic partner church with us. Uh, so we were a part of a bigger network of churches. And Conexus Church uh, also, along with Mark Clark, and his great book, The Problem of God, Connexus, has really been helpful in getting us resources for this message to make sure that we can deliver uh, the best talks for the city of Clarksville. And just want to give them a shout out for a lot of uh, the graphics and other things that you see. Uh, I just love that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are truly better together. When we talk about the power of community as a church, know that your church uh, is also in community with other churches. And I just think that's a really cool thing that we're uh, doing live together. So shout out to Connexus for uh, helping us out along the way with this. If you take a look at a lot of the surveys out there on why people are disengaging with God, why people are disconnecting from the church, you'll see some similar themes. And you can lump all of the various reasons, like the ones we saw in the video there, you can lump all of those reasons into a certain amount of categories. And we've gone over this for the past couple of weeks now. People have a problem with God's existence. They have a problem with God and science. They have a problem with God and sex. They have a problem with God in the Bible. They have a problem with 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 a, a lot of different things. And, and God and hip Hypocrisy is another one that people really get frustrated with. And, and as we saw last week, uh, when it comes to people's problem with God and science, we learned the truth that faith and science are not enemies. In fact, they are best friends. And so we leaned into that idea that every ology is a branch of theology. In week one, we leaned into the truth that we should follow the evidence before we follow our feelings. We should follow the evidence where it actually leads, not where we hope it will lead. Today, we're going to talk about, I think, one of the toughest issues that people have when it comes to God and mankind, and that is the problem of evil and suffering. And we'll get there in a few minutes. We'll be in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures. We'll get there in just a few. The problem of evil and Suffering. For two decades, I lived in the shadow of suffering and failing, failure. Every day, I was reminded of what pain looked like and what suffering looked like. I drove past a literal monument to agony and futility and hopelessness. And no matter how hard I prayed or wished or chanted or nothing ever got better, it just always got worse. In fact, when things would start to get better, they would quickly spiral out of control. It was an evil situation, an evil context to, to, to live in day after day after day. What you might not know about me is that I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and I'm a diehard Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. And every day I got to look at this monument to failure, to suffering, to agony. They call it the big sombrero. It's been torn down now. Now it's the parking lot of Raymond James Stadium. But for a long time, that's what we looked at to be reminded of how much life can suck sometimes about how painful things can be, about how meaningless life can be sometimes, evil, suffering. It's just a hard time to be a football fan. And for 20 years, that's what I looked at. But then God, in his graciousness and in his power, he sent an angel from heaven, a saint named Tony Dungy, who came and brought revival and turned everything around. And those of you who aren't sports fans, you'll be all right. Those of us who are sports fans, you know what I'm talking about. Everything changed uh, for the better when I was there. Have you been there suffering evil Frustration constantly reminded day in, day in, and out of your life that things are terrible, that life stinks sometimes. Maybe 
like me, it's been because of the sports team you're a fan of, Browns fans, Cubs fans, y'all know what I'm talking about, what suffering looks like. And we can make light about some of those things, but we know that suffering is a real issue. We know that the evil in the world is, is, is always before us. And if you just spend five, ten minutes on the news, watching the news, reading the news, we know that things seem to always be getting worse, right? Just when you think they can't get any worse, someone says, hold my beer, let me show you what worse is, right? And, and, and it just gets painful. In all seriousness, I know real pain and suffering like everyone in this room knows real pain and suffering. I've lost friends to suicide and a drug overdose. I've lost loved ones, including both of my parents. I've lost two children. I know what it feels like to be gutted when life shows up and kind of rips your heart out. Can you, can you relate to that? In December of 2017, my cousin Javier was driving home with his wife Liz when a white SUV pulled up beside them and fired a shot into the vehicle, hitting Liz in the head instantly and killing her. A totally random act of violence, eight days before Christmas. And you hear stuff like that that happens and you say, why? What was the point of that? How could something that terrible happen to someone who is just minding their own business, just going about their own day and then evil and then violence and then just terror strikes them out of nowhere? I know I've wrestled with that question and I know that I'm not special. I know many of us here, we're familiar with pain, we're familiar with suffering. In fact, today in the United States, someone will be murdered every 35 minutes. Someone will be raped every six minutes. Someone will be physically assaulted every 40 seconds today in our country. During the 70 minutes or so that we're holding this service together, there'll be at least two rapes, 11 murders, and 105 physical assaults somewhere in our country. While we're sitting here, all of that will be happening. If you're like me and millions and millions of other people, that information causes us to ask one of the biggest questions in all of life. If God is so good, and if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering? Have you ever asked that? If God is so good, and if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering? Why is there evil. And for many of us, this is our problem with God. For many of us who love Jesus and man, we pay our tithes and we show up to church, this is the one beef. This is the one thing we hold in our pocket. Like, I can't wait to see God face to face so I can ask him this question. By the way, when you see God face to face, you're going to fall flat on the ground and worship him because he's God and you're not. But nevertheless, it's fun to have that in our head of what we think we're going to do when we see God face to face. But if you're here and you've struggled with church and you've struggled with following Jesus and this thing called Christianity, I would bet this issue is probably one of the biggest roadblocks to you stepping forward and saying, you know what, I'm going to give this God thing a chance. Because if God is good and if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering? Now, every religion and every worldview has to answer this question. That includes atheism, agnosticism. Every worldview has to deal with this problem because it's a problem that is common amongst all of humanity. In fact, many avoid Christianity altogether because they can't reconcile the goodness of God that we talk about in our church services with the hate and the ugliness and the evil and the suffering that far too many people, especially children, experience around the world. If God is good, if God is power, why is there suffering? 
So there's typically three types of solutions to this problem, the problem of evil and suffering. Now, there's a whole lot of them. We don't have the time again. We're just giving little little Sam's Club snack size information in these, these messages here. You got to go way, way deeper to unpack a lot of this. But there's more than three. But there's, you can kind of lump the, the, the responses people have to evil and suffering in about three types of responses generally. And, and, and so we're going to just go over those really quickly. One response you can have to evil and suffering is to deny the existence of evil altogether just to deny that evil is a thing. This view is popular in some worldviews, especially Christian scientism. If you're not familiar with Christian scientism, it's kind of a belief set. It's, it's not really Christian or scientific in either one of those. I don't know. Uh, we'd have to have another talk to figure out why they landed on that name. But nevertheless, in kind of their worldview and others' worldview, the best way to approach evil and suffering is just to deny that evil exists. According to this solution, Evil has never existed because a great and a good God could not and would not create evil. Therefore, evil is a figment of your imagination, and evil can be overcome by refusing to believe the lie that is evil. So, for example, some would say that you can overcome sickness, which is a fruit of so-called evil, by changing your thinking, since sickness doesn't really exist because evil doesn't really exist exist. Obviously, that logic is faulty because like all humans, guess what? People who hold this belief, what happens to them? They get sick and they what? And they die, right? So obviously, there's a huge hole in that thought process. Also, if I could just think something away, it would be my spare tire, right? It would be this cold that I'm fighting off. Like if, the, if I could just wish it away, I mean, some of us, we could wish away 20 pounds during this search service, right? Like if I could just wish it away, oh, wait, I, y'all got excited about that. That's, that's good stuff. Here's the truth. No amount of positive thinking can change the reality that evil exists in the world. No amount of positive thinking can change that. It might help you die with a smile on your face, right? This bear is not trying to kill me. This bear is not trying to kill me. I'm just, bear, you don't exist, right? You, you, may, you, may, you may go to heaven with a smile on your face, but you're still going to die because the bear is going to eat you, right? I mean, just... And sorry for you bear lovers, I'm not equating bears to evil, but that's just what came into my mind at that time. No amount of positive thinking can change the reality that evil exists in the world. Another solution some come up with for the problem of evil and suffering is to modify the definition of good. So maybe not as far as denying it exists, but modify the definition of good. By changing what good means, the concept of evil becomes subjective and more palatable. For example, a man named Clark, he, he held firmly to the belief that God is the ultimate and not immediate cause of sin. What he meant by that is uh, basically that you can redefine the goodness of God in such a way that paints everything that happens as a part of God's goodness because God causes everything. That's this person's belief set. And that runs very clearly in opposition to some of what the Bible tells us, what Scripture tells us. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he said, when tempted, no one should say that God is tempting them because God doesn't tempt anyone. But each of us is tempted when our own desires drag us away and entice us. And we give into those desires and that lust becomes sinful. So James, the brother of Jesus said, God's not the one tempting us. We're the ones being dragged away by our own device. God doesn't operate that way. So we can't just modify the definition of good and think it solves the problem. Is that a rationalization for why evil happens? Sure. Is it a solution to evil and suffering? Not really. 
Third way we can approach evil and suffering, why do bad things happen, is the doctrine of finitism. Finitism basically denies that God is all-powerful. According to this belief, if God was all-powerful, or a big fancy word for that is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful, all omnipotent, then he would have the power to remove evil. Basically, God would if he could, and since he doesn't, that must mean he can't. That's what the doctrine of finitism says. It recognizes good and evil, but it places evil on equal footing with God. For the finitist, evil is the opposite of God. God would if he could, but since he does not, that means he cannot. And obviously, there's a lot of logical uh, flaws in that line of thinking. Just because you want me to do something that as a human being I can do, and if I don't do that thing, it doesn't mean that I don't exist, right? Well, if Carlo existed, he could pick up this table and throw it to the third row. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then Carlo must not exist. Carlo must not be strong because he's not willing to put on a feat of strength at my bidding. Therefore, he must not be strong. And when we put God into that box, that's basically what we're saying. God, I want you to respond the way that I think you should respond. And if you don't respond exactly like I think you should respond, then you must not be good and big and powerful and all of that. But what that does is it puts all the power onto us. It's a very me-centered worldview when I think about that. Finitism, it has many problems. The chief of which is it doesn't solve the problem of evil. It just solves the problem of the problem of evil by giving a little, a, a trite answer, but it doesn't really solve the problem of evil. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there evil and suffering? If the problem of evil could be solved by simply redefining good or denying an obvious attribute of God or by denying evil altogether, this discussion would have ended centuries ago. But the problem of evil in our world is not our problem to solve. That doesn't mean we don't stand up against evil. That doesn't mean we don't stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean we just let darkness have the way. What it means is that we know our response to evil is never going to be adequate in and of itself. By ourselves, we're never going to be able to solve this question about why is there evil and pain and suffering in the world because ultimately that problem is not our problem. That's God's problem. Every worldview, every religion has to reconcile this question. Why is there bad in the world? What if I told you that in following Jesus in Christianity, there's an unbelievably different kind of answer to evil and suffering that I think most people miss. And we find it here in Isaiah chapter 53. This is in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And we're going to start reading, uh, I believe, in verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Here's what it says. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, 
he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He'd done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Who is the prophet Isaiah talking about? Right here in the 53rd chapter of this most sacred text is God's solution to evil and suffering. Prophet Isaiah took over 50 years writing this book to unpack a concept called salvation. Even Isaiah's name means salvation is from the Lord. The word salvation appears 26 times in the book of Isaiah, only appears seven times in all the other prophetic books combined. So Isaiah's message is clear. Salvation from evil will come through the suffering of this promised person, this Messiah, this Savior. We know that is Jesus. In fact, of the 34 prophecies in Isaiah that were fulfilled in Christ, the verses that we just read, they were written 700 years before Jesus was even born. It's a powerful example of how God dealt with the problem of evil and suffering. The reality is there's really only one solution to the problem of evil, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, you may hear that and say, man, that's a Sunday school answer. That's cheesy. Jesus can't really be the answer. But I'm here to tell you, in Jesus, we find an answer that no other position helps us live with. In Jesus, we find a solution that transcends everyone else's concept of evil and suffering. In Jesus, we find not a God who's distant, not a God who doesn't care about what we're going through, but a God who not only cares, he actually did something about it and does something with our current suffering now. Simply put, Jesus not only suffered for us, he suffers with us. Jesus not only suffered for us, he suffers with us. And his response, God's response to to evil and suffering in the world was not to think it away, not to give us some little bite-sized answer that we can give someone who's going through a hard time. It's for us to understand that he too suffers with us. Not only dying for our sins that we can be right with him and have relationship with him, but in our mess, in our pain right now, he embraces the suffering with us. Every religion and worldview has to answer this question of suffering. Jesus answered suffering by embracing it, by leaning into it. Many in our culture, unfortunately, we, we have this theology of suffering that thinks that saying yes to Jesus means we're not supposed to go through anything. We're not supposed to go through anything tough. And maybe it's because we've overemphasized that in Jesus, yes, we do have this victory and, and this, this abundant life and all of that. But we can't forget there's also this suffering side of Jesus. That's the reality of saying yes to him. Jesus even says it in the Gospels. In this world, you will have many troubles. But his response to the many troubles is for us to take heart because he's already overcome the world. He promises us that he'll be with us. Even the psalmist recognized recognized this in talking about the Lord who is our good shepherd. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You're with me. 
You're not coming in with a Chinook and strapping me up and pulling me out of the valley of suffering. You're walking through the valley of suffering with me. This is what Jesus does. This is what our God does that no other answer to evil and suffering gives us. It's someone who walks through the mess with us, who overcomes the mess with us, who takes our pain and shows us the purpose of that pain. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about it in the book of Romans chapter 3. Paul said, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them and what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in who? Jesus. Jesus responded to suffering with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so should we. And so should we. We shouldn't seek out suffering for suffering's sake. That would be like masochism, right? We don't want to be those kind of Christ followers. Instead, we should receive suffering for what it is, Suffering really is a type of grace that leads us to God. The world is broken. The world is messed up because of sinfulness. God solved the problem through Jesus. Now, in the reality of our suffering and pain, we have a choice. We can stay stuck trying to figure out the reason for our suffering, or we should see that there's something more in that pain us. There's a huge difference between the reason for our suffering and the redemption in our suffering. There's a huge difference between the reason for our suffering and the redemption of our suffering. In most areas of life, we know that pain has a purpose, right? We know that pain has a purpose. When my kids were younger and they would roughhouse in the house, they'd, they'd horseplay around, someone would come running saying, Dad, he smacked me in the head, and my response would be, Son, duck, block, Get in a position so you don't get hit in the head, right? It hurts so that you know you probably don't want people to punch you in the head. Carry on. That's, that's how I solve fights in my house, right? He punched me in the head and it hurt. It's supposed to hurt. Don't get punched in the head next time. Carry on, like, really quickly. We, we understand this in life, right? You touch a stove, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned. In most areas of life, we know that pain has a purpose. No pain, no gain. You apply that on Monday morning when you're on that stupid elliptical, the most nonsensical exercise device on earth, but that's another story. You're on that stupid elliptical, hating life, sweating to the oldies, and you know I just got to keep pushing because no pain, no. So why do we not understand that that is the lesson for all of life? The trial I'm going through can make me bitter or it can make me better. I choose. This pain that I'm in 
I can understand that Jesus has overcome it all, that he has the ultimate victory and that he suffers with me so I can choose to become better through this pain and through this agony. Man, Carl, you sound like you're making light of some heartache. Were you not paying attention? I've been through some heartache. I'm telling you, we could do a survey in this room and we could just sit and turn this into a cry fest, right, of what's the ugliest thing that's ever happened to me or to you, whether it's being abused, whether it's being locked up, whether it's experiencing death, bankruptcy, you name it, sickness in our bodies. We all are humans who've dealt with some kind of suffering, and I'm telling you, it really is that simple. This thing could make me bitter or it could make me better. There's a purpose to the pain. In most areas of life, we understand that evil and suffering are these realities that we deal with, but we know we're not dealing with them alone. Yet, somewhere along the line, we believe the lie that saying yes to Jesus means I'm never going to have to walk through anything bad or dark again. And I think, too, this is why some people have a problem with God, because they think God means everything is just going to be perfect we heard that in the opening video, right? A lot of people, their concept is, well, if God was perfect, we would all just get along and everything would be perfect. And well, then we'd be a bunch of robots, right? When I look at the scripture, I see Jesus telling his followers all the time that they have to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. What is the cross? The cross is not that nice little iced out thing you wear around your neck. That's not what Jesus was talking about. The cross was an instrument of torture, it was an execution device. In today's context, Jesus would say, take up your lethal injection and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up that firing squad. I mean, y'all got quiet at that stuff, right? See, you like to take up your cross stuff when it's in this faraway context, when you're thinking about this symbol. But those guys who heard him say those words, they knew exactly what he meant. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, following you means they're going to beat us down. Following you means there's going to be some stuff we have to endure. But he's with us. He told them, get your mind right. He said, a day is going to come when you're going to be arrested, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be persecuted for my sake. Aren't you glad you came to get encouraged on a Sunday morning, right? Such good stuff. Jesus, over and over and over again, he doesn't set the disciples up with this high and lofty, tiptoe through the tulips version of what following Jesus means. He never does that in the Gospels. He tells them, they hate me, they're going to hate you. You're going to have trouble in this world. But all along the way, he promises them, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll send the Spirit of God to empower you. You'll be my witness. You'll be bold. You'll do greater things than I ever did. Persevere. Keep moving forward. On and on and on and on throughout the New Testament, we see this this contrast where, yes, things are going to be hard. Yes, there's going to be pain, but there's so much more hope. There's so much more promise because he's already overcome the ultimate problem of evil and suffering. You guys with me? The Apostle Peter, he gives us one of the greatest promises related to evil and suffering. I think it's a life verse for me. If someone said, man, Carlo, gun to your head, what is your favorite passage of Scripture of the entire 66 books of the Bible, I always go right here to 1 Peter 5, chapter 10, because I just think it's life and it's truth, and it really summarizes the Christian walk. Here's what Peter says. Peter said, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have what? After you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you 
on a firm foundation. Did you catch what he said? Not if you suffer, not, sub, not just in case. He said, he didn't even say when you suffer. He said after you've suffered a little while. Here's the promises. Restore, support, strengthen, firm foundation. But I don't get the support and I don't get the restoration and I don't get the strengthening until what? I've suffered a little while. I got to go through some things, but I don't go through the evil and the mess without this awesome promise on my back that he's with me. Jesus not only suffered for us, he suffers with us. I just think that's exciting to know. That's peaceful. That, that, that fills my heart with confidence and joy that no matter what mess I'm stuck in, I know Jesus is with me in that journey. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he, in the book of Philippians, laid out all the things he'd accomplished in his life, and he basically says, it's all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And he said, I want to know Jesus more. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, and I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul got it. Paul realized, I can't know Jesus if all I know is the resurrection power version, the victory part. I got to know that suffering part too. Jesus answered suffering by embracing it. More than that, after we suffer a little while, he turns our pain into something beautiful. How are you today? It's raining outside, but for some of you, that weather actually is a descriptor of what's happening in your life right now. Are you overwhelmed by the evil of the world? Are you overwhelmed by the evil that surrounds you? Let me encourage you to look to the only real solution, Jesus. Instead of fixating and focusing on the why of suffering, focus on the who. Focus on who answered suffering by suffering with us, and that's Jesus. So this week, how do we live it out? What do we do? It's a lot to process. This is heavy stuff, but I think you can practically start walking into some of this truth very quickly if you do these three things. The first one is don't deny the reality of pain. Don't deny the reality of pain. If you're going through a hard time, if life is a mess right now, I believe in the power of Scripture. I believe in positive thinking. I believe in, in looking to Jesus. But I don't believe in uh, living in denial. I don't believe in, in, in being illogical either. If your arm is broken, please do not stare at your broken arm and say, I do not believe this arm is broken. In Jesus' name, be healed. Or you better take your tail to the emergency room. Keep praying. I, 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 that's just me. You might be a better Christian than I am. More power to you. I hope some of you rubs off on me, but I'm just not that saved to sit and look at my broken arm and say, Jesus, I'm not hurt at all. I'm not hurt at all. This doesn't hurt. This doesn't hurt. No, it hurts. When someone betrays you, when someone stabs you in the back, stop trying to be so tough. And, and have that moment where you say, this stinks. This hurts. This is terrible. But in my pain, I'm going to talk to the only one who can really solve it. So I'm going to pray through my pain. 
I'm going to praise God through my pain. I'm not going to praise God for my pain. Again, that's masochism, right? Thank you, Jesus, that I broke my arm. No. I'm going to begin to find the purpose in the suffering. Instead of why did this happen, God, what are you teaching me? What are you shaping in me through this pain? So don't deny the reality of pain, of evil. Don't let it overwhelm you, but don't deny the reality of it. Second thing is this. Don't let what's wrong with the world take your eyes off of what's right with God. And by the world, I'm not doing that old Christian thing where we talk about us and the world. No, I mean the world, literally, like CNN, turn on the news. Don't let all of that darkness take your eyes off of what's right with God. I'm going to get in your business for a minute. Is that okay? I don't care. Y'all can't stop me. I got the mic. Some of you are addicted to darkness and you don't even realize it. First thing you do in the morning is feed yourself a bowl full of drama and darkness. Then you run to your news feed and you run to your social media accounts and you look for what is the ugly, horrible, terrible thing that someone has posted and you put your little mean face emoji on it and then you share it with your comments thinking that you're helping and all you're doing is spreading more poison around the globe. You, my friend, are part of the problem. You're letting what's wrong with the world keep you from focusing what's right. The world needs to hear that Jesus lives, that there's hope, that there's a better tomorrow, that we're overcomers, that God is with us, that God is for us. That's what the world needs to hear. They don't need you to add fuel to the fire of some other little kid who was abused, of some other little person who was beat up, of, oh, look how terrible this politician was. A politician being terrible? That shocks you? That shouldn't be news at all, right? No offense, politicians in the room, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't let what's wrong with the world take your eyes off of what's right with God. Find Jesus in the junk. In the junk of life, find the good. Be a voice for good. Use your platform, whether that's your social media account, your your, te- your text, but whatever you, your text messages. Use your platform to be for good don't spread more darkness and then finally this week how do you live it out don't suffer alone now we know the truth that Jesus not only suffered for us he what he suffers with us and more than that he gives us this awesome family called the church this body of Christ that we get to do life with. I don't have to be alone. I can bear someone else's burdens for them. I thank God for Pastor Chris. Thank God for Pastor Luther. Brothers that I can say, hey, take this load. I can't deal with this. You take it. And they give me a high five and say, I got you. Give it to me. I'll carry that with you. So you don't have to do it alone. We're better together. Right now, you're going through something horrible in your life, and you haven't told anyone. You need to find someone that you trust, someone that loves you the most, knows you the best, that you know they love Jesus and they love you, and you need to talk with them. Don't suffer alone. Don't try to be the tough guy enduring your financial hardship by yourself. Don't be the person dealing with this trauma, carrying this weight by yourself. You're going to collapse under that pressure. Don't suffer 
Jesus not only suffered for us, he suffers with us. We aren't alone. When the storms of life crash in, when all else fails, when everything else just comes up short in helping us in our lives, we know we can find hope, we can find help in Jesus who goes through it all with us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you that you hear us. God, that you are with us, that you are for us, and God, that you are strong. Help us to hope in nothing else other than you. To not look for high and lofty ideals, to not look for the right logical argument, but with this issue and in this moment, God, when it comes to evil and suffering and sin and pain, help us to rest in the truth that you paid the price, that you are the one who's responsible for fixing the mess of this broken world, and you fixed it with Jesus. Now help us to suffer well, to endure, because we know that we're not doing it alone. If there's a person in this room, God, who hasn't said yes to you because of this pain, because they just can't understand how a good God could let so many ugly things happen, I pray this morning you reveal yourself to them in a fresh way so that they can say, you know what, I don't understand it, but I do understand what you did, God, that you suffered for me. I'm going to take a step towards you, and I thank you, God, as people do that, you show up and you save and you lead us 